The reason why a lot of people don't have what they want in their life is because they don't value their time. They say yes to everyone and everything. And then the things that are important to them go behind the wayside. And I see it with so many men where they're, you know, they're overweight, they're unhappy, their relationship sucks. They're in a career that they don't like being in. And that's because one, they've forgotten to invest time in who they are as an individual. They don't know what they want from their life. They don't know what hobbies they have anymore. So if you go, what, what makes you happy? I don't know. All I do is work, go home, eat dinner, look after the kids, kiss my wife good wife goodnight if they do that, and then go to bed and do it again. So, okay, well, that's not going to be fun for the next however many years of your life. G'day, g'day. Welcome back to another episode of A Lot To Talk About. It is your boy, the captain of the ship, the man in charge, Bradley J. Driver. Of course, you all can call me Brad. And before I introduce today's guest, I want to give a little bit of gratitude to those of you who are already subscribed to the show and following the show. It is because of you all that in 2022, we're on the top 5% of podcast on Spotify wrapped. And if you're hearing this right now, feeling that impending guilt that you do not follow the show, um, bloody oath, you should <laughs> get behind it. Follow the show. I want to be top 1% at the end of 2023. That was one of the goals I set for this podcast platform this year in 2023. So you can go ahead and follow or subscribe on your platform of choice. Share this amongst friends and family because today's episode will have impact. I know that my conversations thus far over the course of social media and a previously recorded podcast that unfortunately um, Zoom decided to delete from the save software is just going to be incredibly valuable. The man that we're sitting here talking to today, Lockie Stewart, is a coach of men and women, a business leader. He's had profound impact on so many people's lives, but his own um, desire to change, to evolve, to grow as a human being has had a profound impact on his life. And he has such an interesting story that I think so many people will relate to within parts and we've packaged it all together um, to create a man that can. And that's a little segue into, you know, the man that can podcast being his show, which I had the honor of guesting on recently. So it's my privilege to introduce to you from your homey car or wherever you are, um, the incredible human being that is Lockie Stewart. How are you, brother? Bradley, thanks for having me on, mate. It's good to get to do a round two as we're saying off air. It's, uh, you know, you learn a little bit more about each other and your stories every time you have a different podcast. So being able to do it again and I guess have a greater understanding of what we want to talk about and questions we want to ask to add value to not only each other and the audience that's listening. So I'm pumped. I'm excited for it, brother. I, I guess we'll go to the beginnings, the early days of your journey. And yep. um, I guess briefly, if you could ex explain and describe to us the kind of human you were as a young fella and yep. the sort of feelings, emotions and, and life experiences that sort of dictated who you were heading into your um, more developing years of adolescence and early adulthood. For sure. Just before I dive in, I wanted to share, I'm having such a unique experience here. So we're in Tamworth at the moment and uh we're in a little motel room so i've got my first ever audience while i'm doing a podcast and my wife's sitting over there doing her makeup and whatnot but it feels so weird having someone here watching while i'm doing a podcast with you and she can't even <laughs> see you or she doesn't know what we're talking about it just hears me on the headphones so that's we're, a new hey experience. we're big time now audience yeah, we've Live got an audience. audience i love it i might i might charge her a ticket <laughs> so yeah a little bit of the the background story uh i guess for me i grew up lovely family, had a lot of opportunities. My parents <clears throat> were, I'd say, middle class uh, and did whatever they 
could to provide, you know, the opportunities for me to pursue whatever it was that I wanted. And fortunately for me, I found out at a year early age, sorry, I had a bit of talent in the sporting field, not so much the academic fields. And at the age of 10 was when I got my first coach for athletics. And what that led on to was um, state titles and, you know, placing in the top, top two at nationals and various things like that. And very quickly that became my identity. The people around me, I think I sort of, I guess, became popular because I was a good athlete and all I ever really knew was how to perform at an elite level from a sport side of things. I didn't get that attention or I didn't, I guess, give that energy into other areas of my life. So going through school, all I ever wanted to do was to be a professional athlete. And fortunately, when I was in grade eight, I got a scholarship to a rugby school. So I got a rugby scholarship and a running scholarship. And now when you go to a rugby school, for anyone who's ever gone to a rugby school, an all boys rugby school, if you don't play rugby or back then, this is, you know, 15 years ago, I'm showing my age. If you don't play rugby, you don't necessarily always fit in. And I found out really quickly that once again, having been popular in primary school, I didn't want to not fit in. Mm. It, it wasn't a, a fun place to be on the receiving end of being picked on and being bullied. So I made a decision pretty quickly uh, when I was 13, so grade eight, to become a really good rugby player. So I shifted my focus from running and did whatever I could to get you know, bigger because I think even even when I finished grade 12, so I was 17, I was 73 kilos dripping wet. So I wasn't the biggest bloke. And a lot of the guys that you're playing are at least 80 kilos plus, at least. So I was a bit of a whippet. But what that then taught me was that you could really create who you wanted to be. And while I wasn't aware of it at that time, the person who I was becoming wasn't someone that I wanted to be. And it wasn't someone mm -hmm. that acted in a way that I was proud of. So Throughout the, uh, my time at high school, I achieved what I wanted to achieve, playing multiple years of first 15 rugby, uh, moving overseas to play rugby once I finished. But what that journey taught me along the way was that regardless of how you are on the exterior and what you achieve, if you've got internal demons or challenges, which I feel a lot of us have, they're going to follow you everywhere. And as I was creating this identity of someone I didn't know why I wanted to be it or I I guess I did to a degree. I didn't want to be picked on. It didn't align with who I was. And I had that feeling in my guts that I was always here to do something bigger. And a lot of the time when I was behaving in a way that I didn't enjoy or I didn't agree with, I knew deep down that I was better than that. But because of the environment and because of how I chose to show up, I wasn't acting, I guess, in a way that I was proud of. So that led to a whole heap of misbehaving and, and carrying on from you know obviously i feel like it's a common thing especially you know you're from tomorrow i'm from toowoomba um those country towns they can tend to original towns love to to drink and and carry on in a certain way and i know bradley you haven't sort of dabbled too much in that but where i grew up it was a, a common common thing mm. and especially in that rugby culture um a bit of you know, playing the field with women and wanting to show that you're the toughest guy or the best partier came along with that. And that sort of led me to a bit of trouble. And I found myself wanting to escape. And the reason why I actually moved to France to play rugby was because of a relationship breakdown. I didn't know how to manage it or deal with my emotions. So I thought, Hey, if I move overseas and prove to everyone that I'm back in the elite field again, maybe everyone will want to you know, be with me again. And 
hopefully in my life I'll be back earning a heap of money. Um, I'll be famous. All of these things that I think we strive for and what we perceive success to be. And when I got there, I found out three months later that I'm still the same dude. Like I was sitting in my bed, I'd go to training, I'd sit at home, watch YouTube and I'd hate who I was. I was really self-conscious. I was always checking Instagram accounts and dealing with all those insecurities and they followed me back to Australia. So after a while I moved back to Australia and just wreaked havoc for a good, good nine months. And I got to a point where the way I was behaving, I was like, maybe this is who I am as an individual. Maybe I am that deceitful guy who lies and manipulates and cheats and lives for the weekend. And I wasn't happy about that. So I got to a point where I was consuming alcohol and, and recreational drugs to a point where people were like, you probably won't wake up if you keep doing that. And I didn't care. And I did do remember reaching out for help and I spoke to my mum about it and she's like, do you want to see a psychologist? I was like, nah, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. But I knew from that moment when my mum reached out to me, that something must've been obviously wrong with me. And within the space of a few months, you know, I was playing local footy again, a guy presented me with these opportunities and the opportunity was network marketing back then. But I feel like that came at the perfect time. You know, I yeah. had a heap of trouble to that point. And I remember drawing the line in the sand one day when I felt like I was the way I was acting, I felt disgusting and I didn't want to be like that anymore. And within the space of a few months, I met my now wife, that guy that I mentioned previously gave me a book, the four agreements, which I read and it one left me feeling proud because I read a book, like which sounds like not a big deal to a lot of people. But for me, I'd only really read, um, you know, motocross magazines and stuff like that. So the the satisfaction of completing that, but also what I took away from that book uh, sent me on a different trajectory for what I could get for my life. And it really inspired me to go, hey, if I want to change the results that I'm getting, there is information out there or there are people out there who have the results or the information that I need to learn to get what I want. And that's when I just became addicted to to growth. So that's a bit more of a whirlwind version. I'm a bit well, nervous with the audience here, but it's all good. Mate, well, that there is such a powerful piece because for me, it is it is profound what you said there because I can imagine that only so many people, as you said, can resonate and relate with that on, on their own level, in their own unique experience. And there's a few things I want to really tap into there. You said, I'm from tomorrow. My partner's from tomorrow. I'm from Wollongong, but I will oh, say sorry, Wollong. No, nah, that's no stress because I will say that Wollongong in many ways is similar to what you described there. Whilst Wollongong is now somewhat seen as more of a city, it, it in many ways has a very regional country town, town feel to the way that people connect with each other. And a lot of that connection is off the back of drinking, partying on the weekend and in the early years of their, well, late years of their sort of adolescence and early years of their adulthood, it's house parties and these drug and alcohol field catch-ups and meetings, which aren't ever really true connection in those early years. And the tone of what you said there to me really stood out because it's a conversation that with a lot of the men that I've had on the podcast recently is incredibly consistent with this theme of fitting in versus belonging and this desire to fit in with a group, to be a part of the pack often pushes us further away from our true self, which sounds like it was very much the case for you. Like deep down, I remember you telling me that you felt this moral disconnect with your actions, that your actions were the display of a man who you knew at heart you truly weren't. 
And I was speaking just recently with Josh Kerr, the Dragons front rower about this on the pod. And he spoke about a disconnection to his indigenous culture because the racist jokes and the, um, I guess, crude remarks towards Indigenous culture within his high school sort of group of friends made him shy away from the fact and, you know, not represent the fact that he was Indigenous. And he spoke about it was not until the fact that he actually connected with and celebrated his culture and come into full self-acceptance that he felt like he wasn't a coward anymore. He felt like he was a champion of people, a champion and a leader for people to embrace who they truly are. And, and I just love the tone of what you spoke about there, because I know so many young men and women, just human beings in general, have this disconnect with who they are because they are on the surface or deep down more so absolutely terrified with the deep seated fear and insecurity of, of not being a part of um, the accepted group, the accepted pack. And that manifests itself in many ugly heads and, and I guess many actions that don't don't live up to the human being that you want to be long term. It's very interesting that all throughout school we learn so many things that may be useful to some professions, but a lot of it's not really practical or useful for life. And one of those things that you just sort of brushed on then is we don't ever get taught to identify who we are, what we value and what we stand for. So all we have, I guess, you know, this carrot dangled in front of us is what stereotypical versions of success are, which is you know, be either an elite athlete, an elite entertainer, or a CEO, like at the top of your field, whatever it may be. Anything else is subpar, you're not good enough. So when we're trying to figure out where we want to be, that's all we know to go to. Anything that sort of falls between the cracks doesn't isn't good enough. And for the people who are trying to figure it out and like, you know, we once did, you're going, okay, well, I don't want to fit into the cracks because that's not going to lead to a level of success. And I want that level of success because I want a nice house. I want to be able to look after my family and I want to be recognized. So therefore anything in between is not good enough. Therefore I'm not good enough because even though that's what I enjoy, those parts of myself, I need to bury. Yeah, And a lot of people experience that to the point where they do blowfly jumping around here to the point where they do build up resentment one because they aren't being authentic with who they want to be but two there's this dissatisfaction because when they're sorry a lack of a sense of belonging because even though they are in certain groups like we've touched on this in so far as like the conversations don't feel right maybe the way people are um, acting or behaving doesn't align with what we want to do. So we never feel like we truly belong, even though we may be around people. It's why so many people have, have you know, thousands of Facebook friends, but they still feel lonely. And mm -hmm. you said something really beautiful before, which is a big part of our academy. It's like, we want people to belong, not just be a part of something. Right? And it takes two to tango to belong, meaning you have to learn to open up and show up as your true self because no one's, you know, if you want to feel heard, you've got to allow people to hear you and know who you are. But if you're putting up a facade or a persona based on who you think they want to see, you're still going to feel empty and you're still going to feel like you don't belong. And the sure. work that needs to be done, which I wish was taught at a younger age is things around finding out what you value. Cause a lot of us do know, we just don't have the platform or the support to be able to, to I guess, continue to build on that. Right. If you think about a compound effect, 
Bradley, if you think about it, if you'd been given to uh, access to doing what you do now when you were 10 years old, that's wild what you would now know. The people that you would have been connected with, the way that you would be able to ask questions, but for a long time, you probably were set on a different, you know, I know you did real estate, right? So there's there's so many things that sort of steal our focus, which is fine because it helps us explore and understand more about what we do like, what we don't like, who we want to surround ourselves with, who we don't, um, which once again, in turn, helps us create our identity. But a lot of people don't try the things that they feel they want to try through fear of judgment or through fear of it's not going to create the life that they want for themselves. And I think in this time that we live in with, you know, as we were speaking about offline before, you can literally run a business from your phone now. There's no reason why whatever it is or whoever you feel you are can't become successful in your own right based on the resources that we have now. It's so profound what you're saying. And it's it's really funny that we're having this conversation around what we're taught in those foundational years of our life because I've just before jumping on air with you been listening to Seth Godin and Rich Roll and a big part of their conversation in this sort of recent episode of Rich's podcast is how in the school system we're taught to be cogs in the chain yes. and we're taught to be followers and a lot of what is set up in the structure of modern society is to follow you know, like if you're on Instagram, you're a follower or you're following and this setup of like, you're always in pursuit of something or someone else, you're always controlled by something else and you're just taking part. And they spoke about what if we restructured the schooling system to teach kids to lead, to teach well, kids to have empathy, to teach people to actually belong, understand self-acceptance and true connection. And what would that then look like for our future? Why do you feel they don't do that? Because they need cogs in the chain. They need people who, who say, yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full and, and rock up to work and do their jobs nine to five, which we need those people in society. But unfortunately, those people who still serve an incredibly important part of society don't often have the tools to deal with the adversity they then face, as you've explained, in those areas of our life where our, I guess our values do come into question. I like how you sort of touched on the the followers and the fans and all of that sort of stuff. And it's really, because my biggest belief is like, even though my skill set may be better in some areas, your skill set would be better in other areas as well. So if we approach things like that, we're all equal in my opinion. And I don't like referring to people who follow me on Instagram or listen to the podcast or whatever as fans or followers, because it just makes me feel like I'm better than and once again, it's all language and who really cares too much about that. But for me personally, it's like, well, I know that every single person that listens to me, it's why I still message you know, all the followers that listens or people who comment or people down the street. And I still address them as mate or legend or whatever, because, or even if I'm talking on Instagram, I don't say to all my followers. I just think that's fucking ridiculous because there's plenty of people who listen to my content and I hope they get inspiration from it. But if they were to have their own podcast or if they were to, you know, post as much as me, I'm sure I would get equally as inspired or learn from them. They just don't use their platforms in the same way that I do. And I think one of the things that holds a lot of us back is leadership. You don't always have to lead from the front. Leadership is also empowering other people to bring out more of themselves. And that's, I guess, my biggest thing is even though I use social media, for example, 
as a way to get my message across. And it's a great way to build brand and establish, I guess, your knowledge base and whatnot. I still get more satisfaction out of empowering men that I work with to lead more because when I see them taking control of their life, it inspires me to go, well, I've had a small part in that, but now I'm getting to learn from them and I'm getting to learn from their network around things that I had no idea about. And I think when you go back to why don't they teach leadership? Why don't they teach uh, empathy? It's because we've lost this ability to connect. And I think if we went back to just the basics of let's teach people how to communicate properly and connect properly one and most importantly with themselves to then communicate with the people around them to then communicate with the world around them which is the last one which is where we do use social media platforms and podcasts and stuff to share our ideas experiences etc then it would be much better but a lot of people don't know how to communicate mm. and they don't know how to connect with themselves which is why they suck at connecting with other people and they suck at communicating with people which is what causes so much conflict and disagreements and hatred currently going on mate it's everything you said there is incredibly profound and and beautiful and and i I love what you said about not referring to people as fans because to me that feels cringy and i even think bro it feels so cringy and i even think in in many ways no matter whether you're if you're a billboard number one top artist if you are the the leading actor, you know, the the you've won a Golden Globe in Hollywood, or you've won an Oscar, whatever you do, you take inspiration and learn from peers and people outside of your field as well. And in that essence, when there's no such thing as fans, we're just all learning from each other. We're all connected. We're hopefully all growing off the back of each other's success and then able to celebrate each other succeeding. And I think it's that fan mentality and that, I have fans mentality that forces people into a level of ignorance that they know it all. Yeah. You and feel to me, like that's unhealthy. Yeah. If you feel like you've got fans and followers, you feel like you've made it. And there could be some tangible things that you look around finances or numbers on your accounts, et cetera, that could lead you to believe that you have made it. But what you got to remember is there is someone who is biting on your heels, who is coming straight for you. For sure. And if you stop treating people with respect, if you stop learning the same way that you once learned, if you stop putting in the work that you put in yesterday, they're going to overtake you. And ultimately, I would hope that a lot of people aren't doing I know that's bullshit because I know a lot of people do do it because they want to be famous and they want to have the recognition. And look, there's nothing wrong with, I, I love having recognition, but I, I feel the people who go on TV shows or whatnot just to be famous and then don't continue to add value or, you know, use Chris Williamson as Williamson, the guy who owns, uh, runs Modern Wisdom podcast. He was on a uh, Jersey Shore or Geordie Show or one of those reality TV shows. He's used the platform that he was given to now run one of the most incredible podcasts, and he's really reshaped his identity and how he's perceived by people. He's a brilliant podcaster and a really smart dude. But you know, four years ago, he was a dude from Geordie Shore. So it's interesting to see or to be mindful that wherever you're at right now, you've got to continue to do things today to be better for tomorrow. Otherwise, you know, someone is going to take that from you or you think you're better than you are. And once again, you'll get caught out. I love that brother. I I want to move from that and move into one of the things you sort of shared last within that 
uh, little piece of your story up until that point of, of change. And you spoke about the book, The Four Agreements, mm. which I actually have sitting at home, but probably like you were in the early stages of your reading journey. Um, I am not the the most willing to pick up a book and read. I'm, I much prefer listening and it's something I'm trying to get better at. But The Four Agreements is a book I've heard people say profound things about. What was it within that book that sparked not only the curiosity and the desire to change, but actually gave you practical tools or or maybe suggestions on what that change could look like? I think for me, firstly, it was the fact that I dedicated time to learn and I was doing it for a purpose. I was given the book by someone that I respected. So not saying I didn't respect my teachers at school, but they were there to teach you. And a lot of the time I was not focused on learning. I was there because you had to be there. And I never really had a great relation. I had one teacher I had a really good relationship with, and that was a class naturally I did did best at. But because it was someone that I respected, I was like, okay, I need to read this. This person's given me this for a reason. Let's see see what it is. So I think because my intent was there to learn and to see what was available to me, I really paid attention and I took a lot away from it. It really challenged a lot of my beliefs around who I was and how I was actually showing up. And for the first time, I realized I needed to t- start taking responsibility for how I was acting and how I was treating others and how I was treating myself. Prior to that, I'd look to blame everyone else, you know, from footy coaches to ex-girlfriends to politics, you know, all of these things as to why my life wasn't going the way that I wanted it to. So I think when you're faced and a bloody book gave it to me, it's not even a big book, but a book gave me that realization. It's hard to swallow that, but it also excited me because I felt like I had achieved a fair bit to that point. So now that I had a, I guess, a new perspective on what I could create for myself, I was excited by that. So I think the book gave me that. And then I was like, okay, well, in this book, it mentioned this, this, this. I have no idea what any of that means. What's the next book I can read that's going to teach me about that? And that's generally how I've, I guess, built my book list or continued to educate myself. It's always been, okay. I don't understand that. And I feel like that's, that is going to add value to my life in this way. Let's go find out the information or find someone who has uh, experienced in that to better that. Because once again, people share book lists all the time. I share a book list, but it might be the right book list for the person who's reading it. I, I'm a big believer. You always need to ask what's the next thing or the next step for me in order to get to where I want to get to. And that could be different for everyone. You know, take goal setting for an example, being you know, the start of the year, a lot of people are setting goals for themselves or setting new year's resolutions. A lot of people don't know how to set a goal. A lot of people don't have a diary. A lot of people don't know how to manage their time. So I guess the most important thing for most people before they set a goal is one, learn how to set a goal. Two, learn to use a calendar and see where their time is because they may not have time to set that goal. So the fact that they're setting a goal that they don't have time for is really setting themselves up for success. So I think a, a really cool thing is, and depending on whatever age anyone is who's listening to it, but take my age, for example, I'm 30, what am I, 31, 31 years of experience around so many different things as you would rather you'd have uh, you know, many experiences in your life that you could learn from. Some of them you've excelled in, others you've failed miserably in. If you want to improve things, you're going to have to continue to fail. But every time you fail, you can take away one thing that you can improve next time you've done it. So for example, going back to the goal setting, I uh, run my life in like 90-day game plans or 12-week blocks. 
because it aligns with business. So when I first started doing that back in 2014, I would have done eight in a row where I didn't complete them. One, I just lost focus. Two, I didn't know what I was doing. Three, my goals were too big and it just was overwhelming. But every time I started a new block, I would go, okay, well, what's one thing I need to fine tune or learn this time that's going to help me stick to this goal a little bit longer? And it literally would have taken me eight or nine of them to complete my first 12-week block. So for anyone who's setting a goal, don't be disheartened by the fact that you don't achieve it. Once again, obviously you want to achieve it. You want to set yourself up for that. But it's a skill to set a goal. It's a skill to use a a diary. It's a skill to manage your time. So we need to think about what are these things that you can learn over a sustained period of time that are going to add value to you for the rest of your life. And I think, you know, one, setting goals is so important, having a vision for your life, managing your time, setting priorities are, are key things that may seem boring, may seem mundane, but will literally change the course of your life. And I know I just went off on a mad tangent then. No, and I love that tangent because there's a, a point that I want to make based off my goal setting in 2022, which I've recognized, I'm glad I've recognized and changed in 2023 before we dive into the evolution of your story. And, you know, you spoke there about setting goals that, you know, are, are sometimes too big, but also you do not have the time to actually put effort into and to give the attention they deserve. And you know, one of my goals last year was to build, you know, a, a speaking business, a speaking platform and to do a certain amount of gigs. Now, when I sat down at the end of last year and I fell just short of that and the goal wasn't too lofty, it was, it was pretty conservative. And I sat down and I fell just short of that. And, you know, the goal was to speak on five stages. I wasn't signed as a speaker yet. And I think I spoke on six platforms, but a few of them are online. So I, th I fell one short. And when I sat there and I, I looked at that goal and then I reassessed my actions for the year, I thought, well, how often did I sit down throughout the course of that year and actually intentionally reach out to people who I thought would book me as a speaker? Until the end of the year, I didn't actually sit down and then pursue the idea of being a signed speaker. So how did I think naively that I was going to achieve that goal, be successful at that goal, if I wasn't consistently throughout the year putting in effort to making progress on that? And this year, when I sat down to look at my goals and set some goals for the year, which I'm still going through that process right now, as I look at the way that the year is going to be set up, I've become far more mindful of the time that I have and where my time needs to be dedicated to. And I think that is a huge, I think, like you said, people understanding goals. I think a lot of people don't understand that goals should be measurable and specific. Mm. You know, that's an issue where people go wrong. They, they don't have measurable goals. So the idea to be a great speaker, well, how do you measure that? You know, where I can set the goal to speak on 20 stages this year as a paid speaker and then re reverse engineer that goal and go, well, what do I have to do every week to get closer to fulfilling that goal. And I guess that's a skill in itself to be able to do that, to be able to sit down and reverse engineer it, where I think that's where a lot of people need help. When you set yep. your goals in those blocks, how many goals do you often set? Is there a, a set structure? Are there goals that are business driven, life driven, um, relationship driven, or, you know, what yep. does that look like for you? Yeah. 
great point you touched on there and I was going to jump in and share that anyway. So with, with the goal setting, once again, if you haven't developed the skill of setting goals, just one. Literally don't overwhelm yourself. Don't overcomplicate it because I know some people come to me once I've given the framework that I use and I talk about it all the time and I've got like seven goals. I'm like, okay, so have you used a calendar before or a diary? It's like, no, I'm like, okay, well, do you feel comfortable having so many moving parts that you need to be across throughout a week to make that a possibility? They're like, no, okay. I'm like, well, let's just start with one because life's still happening for you. You've got a family, you've got a career, you've got all these other things going on. So let's just focus on one to give yourself a greater chance of success. For myself, once again, I've been really focused on it since 2014. So at the moment, there's a health goal. There's always a relationship goal. There's a business goal. Okay, and then there's just a lifestyle goal. That's what I always focus on and literally... It's always every day, literally every day I give time to it. And you've got to become like obsessed with doing it. And the challenge is, and I guess I was talking about this on one of my calls last night. One of the challenges I'm faced with at the moment is still a limiting belief around what level of success I can achieve with so many moving parts. Like I know that at this time I have to be doing, or you know, for example, I'm doing this podcast and I've got to do 15 calls after this. And I've got various other things, but I will work to a schedule and it doesn't allow much flexibility, which isn't, you know, some people may not like, but Monday to Friday, my life is about achieving what I want to achieve. And depending on, I guess, the significance of your goal, you've got to be pretty ruthless with your time. And you were talking about before, how do you prioritize what's important to you? Well, I've got chunk times, like when I'm seeing clients, when I'm doing outreach, when I'm doing content, when I'm doing my training, when my relationship time is, and that's non-negotiable. Like even time for myself, so training time and time where I just want to be reading or if I want to do whatever I want to do for me is an appointment in my calendar. And I don't care if people want to catch up with me for a coffee or if they want to do a meeting with me and then they see me out by myself or training or doing whatever and they go, I thought you were busy. It's like, I am fucking busy, but I'm doing something for myself. The reason why a lot of people don't have what they want in their life is because they don't value their time. They say yes to everyone and everything. And then the things that are important to them go behind the wayside. And I see it with so many men where they're, you know, they're overweight, they're unhappy, their relationship sucks. They're in a career that they don't like being in. And that's because one, they've forgotten to invest time in who they are as an individual. They don't know what they want from their life. They don't know what hobbies they have anymore. So if you go, what, what makes you happy? I don't know. All I do is work, go home, eat dinner, look after the kids, kiss my wife good wife goodnight if they do that, and then go to bed and do it again. Say, so, okay, well, that's not going to be fun for the next however many years of your life. So if you can, one, and I know I've gone on another little tangent, but go back to the point of learning the skill of goals, then breaking it down into whatever areas you think are important to give you the outcomes that you want in your life. And obviously the non-negotiables for me are my relationship, are my health, are my business, okay, and the lifestyle. But I know that I can't do any of that without good health. So for anyone who sacrifices their health for extra work or for various other responsibilities, I would challenge you to consider the priority of having good health, and that's mental and physical. Second one is your relationships. The second biggest reason why men take their life by suicide is because of relationship breakdown. So work on your fucking relationship and one relationship with self meaning you need to learn how to communicate and connect 
with who you are because then you can communicate and connect with your partner better or your children. Okay. If, because once again, you don't want to find yourself in a relationship breakdown, like many blokes do going, I should have given it more time and attention. I shouldn't have gone to the pub with my mates. I should have learned to be more vulnerable. I should have learned to um, do extra things around the house, pick up the slack a little bit, all things that from hindsight gives you, but you can also learn through being intentional with a lot of things. And then obviously business for me and for a lot of people, a lot of people are living week to week financially. And I was living like that and I wrote a post about it um, two days ago or something. So since 2014, when I first met my wife, because she travels a lot, I was always like, okay, I need to put myself in a position where I have freedom. And freedom to me is the flexibility to work from wherever I want and have the finances to do, you know, to travel and do the things that we want to do as a, as a family. And back then I had no experience in business. I didn't have a platform. I couldn't communicate to save myself. There was a lot of things not working in my favor. But over the next nine years leading to now, I've worked hard to, to develop a company to um, put myself in that position to be able to do that, which then goes to point four. It allows me to live a better lifestyle, one that I can focus more on. You know, If we were to have a family, I could stay at home and be a stay-at-home dad while still having an impact-driven company and still travel and, and experience life the way that I want to live it. But that didn't happen by just waking up one day and going, that's what I want. That was a choice I made back in 2014, right? So people need to start having a vision that your goals and align with because there's no point setting a goal, in my opinion, that's not going to move you closer to where you want to be. It just doesn't make sense because going back to what we said moments ago, time is very, very important. And if you're setting all these goals because it sounds cool or someone else is doing something, but it's not taking you to where you want to be in the next five, 10 years, I ask you to challenge yourself on why you would even bother doing it, unless it's going to teach you a skill, which once again is going to move you to where you want to be. Brother, this is so profound. And this couple minutes within that part of the podcast, there is such a point of focus for me right now. And, and I loved listening to that. I was absorbing all of that. And I love that so many people listening to this podcast could just go back five minutes and re-listen to that piece and continue listening to it over the coming weeks as you're starting to set your intentions, goals, vision for not only this year, but the years on, as you said. And, you know, just as you closed off there, you spoke about um, that long-term vision and how the shorter-term goals need to stack towards that. There's that Tony Robbins quote, I believe it is, that I love, and it's most people overestimate what they can achieve in a year and mm. underestimate what they can achieve in 10 and I think sometimes our short-term need and desire to be where I want to be tomorrow fails to put you in the right path for where you can actually be in 10 years' time, in five years' time. And I, I love that. And it feels so profound. And for for me, the biggest challenge in 2023, and it's been the biggest challenge for years now, is as someone who's tried to create the freedom in their life and build a content business off of the back of the podcast and some speaking and, you know, doing the things that I'm doing. My biggest challenge is managing my time effectively because I am a yes man. You know, the, the text comes through, Hey, coffee in 10 minutes. And I'm like, Oh, well I can be flexible. So yeah, they can't. Cause most people work, you know, the standard nine to five, but I'm forgetting that I need to prioritize my time to ensure that 
this work gets out that I can be effective so that when the end of the day comes, I'm not sitting on my laptop at seven o'clock at night, ignoring my partner. I'm not waking up the next morning stressed. I think it's important to redefine what flexibility is, especially for a business that you're trying to create. Most people have an idea that if they're doing an online content creation business, they're going to be working from a laptop by the pool or whatever. So why the fuck would you want to work by the pool? You're at the pool, be at the pool. So when I look at flexibility and I think an important thing for you, Brad, is like, you still got to set your hours and look week to week that could change based around, you know, you might want to go hiking one week or, you know, you will have various experiences and events and adventures offered to you. But when you plan your week out in advance, you don't budge on that unless, you know, there's an emergency or whatever, be clear on what things would take preference over work, but 99% of things don't budge your appointments. And I think that's why, from my experience in the, the coaching space, there is a lot of people who are coaches or um, podcasters or whatever who may look like they're doing well, but they don't earn money because they like to portray a lifestyle, but they don't actually treat it like a business. And you got to treat, if you want to earn $100,000 or a million dollars, it's a business and it takes a fuckload of work. And when, so when you look at flexibility, yeah, flexibility, I still got to be organized to be flexible. You know what I mean? Because you're, you're booking appointments, you're booking meetings, you're organizing events. You can't just whip that up. That's, you know, there's a whole process in running a successful event, a whole process in delivering a great experience at a workshop or same with a podcast. It doesn't just happen. And I think too many people get excited by the idea of having these lifestyle businesses and don't get me wrong, definitely do do that. And I was there for, you know, probably even until about just before pre COVID before I realized, Hey, if I really want to make some, make this my career and achieve the things that I want to achieve, I've got to take it seriously. And I've got to treat it like a bricks and mortar business. Like I have invested, you know, half a million dollars in it. Yeah, mate, you just, everything you say is just becoming more relatable to me because and and I'll be I'll be very vulnerable here and get honest because I there's part of it I've spoken about here what I'm going to say and there's another part that I haven't really shared with anyone outside of you know my partner and my family. Mm-hmm. So until I met my partner so a couple months ago, I'd gotten to a point in my life where I really struggled to connect with any of the women that I met, and I felt as though I felt as though my future and having a relationship that I felt combined with my values and morals and finding someone that I connected with on that level and could go on to have a family with and, and live a part of the dream that I have for my future was just becoming impossible. And because of that, over the course of the last couple of years, my focus being solely on myself and then obviously my inner circle of people allowed me to have a level of flexibility and a lack of urgency towards building a business that gave me financial sustainability. Then I met my partner, fell in love extremely quick because of the depth of our connection. And, you know, I'm just so, so grateful to have her in my life and the deep seated fear and insecurity of the things that I would never have with a partner in the future that I thought wasn't for me is now not only a very real possibility, but something I'm planning for and something we're moving towards and actively talking about what the future looks like. You know, we both want to have a family. You know, we both want to be married. We both want those things for our future. And now we're 26 going on to 27 in April. I felt this stress hit my shoulders. And she, 
there's no stress from her end. It's all, it's all self-indulgent stress here. Hit my shoulders of I've allowed myself to coast financially for so long. And because I went so far from the path of financial pursuit that led me astray in real estate, led me astray in my real estate career. I'm now at the other end of the spectrum where I've valued finance so little that I feel like I'm about to be living week to week. And so I've had to re-engineer my focus and a lot of my goals are around business for 2023 because I feel very disciplined in my relationships and my health and my life. And so I need to value my time more. And the vulnerable part that I want to share with you here, which I've never shared because I feel, I almost feel guilty for saying this. I'm so grateful that I have an incredible group of friends. I have the most amazing circle of people and I have a, a rule of, and this found, sounds almost like douchey to say, but I have such an abundance of friends because I have different interests and have worked different careers and have people in different groups that then I've grown connections outside of just that singular person that I almost feel like I have too many friends to manage, which is a real blessing because some people struggle to have people. But I feel like I have so many people that the weight of how do I possibly manage these relationships and these friendships. And, you know, I feel terrible sometimes because I can't catch up with everyone. And I want to be a person who, when he's with his inner circle of, you know, really close friends, family, and my partner, that I'm adding value to them as they add value to me, that I can actually be present with them instead of sitting there stressing, thinking I really shouldn't be here right now because I have all these other things to catch up on and all these other people to see. And it, it seriously stresses me to the point where I feel like I'm always juggling too many connections and too many people. And I, you know, I consistently listen to people like yourself, Lockie, and, you know, Stephen Bartlett talks about this a lot, Diary of a CEO and Jay Shetty a lot too, that as you get older, you, you know, your circle of friends shrinks and, you know, you start to manage and really give value to a smaller group of relationships than you did when you were in your twenties. And I'm at 26 going on 27 thinking, well, I love all of those people. You know, there's probably 10 friends that I really see as super close friends. I love all of those people and I want to continue to be that man for them as, as they are for me, but I can't possibly manage 10 friendships in a week. My partner, my dad, my mom, my sister and their partners and still feel as though I have time to build my business and look after my health and work on me. Mm-hmm. You know, have you ever felt that? Definitely. It's, as you said, I think it is part of life and becoming, as we get older, there's more responsibilities that pop up through having to pay more bills, um, you know, having a family, more responsibility in the workplace, et cetera, which means you're spending a lot more time there. When we're younger, we don't, you know, we're at school. We only got to worry about homework and, generally our parents make pack our lunch and all of that sort of stuff. We get picked up, dropped off. It all happens for us. The older we get, the more we have to do of that ourselves, which consumes time. So therefore if we're taking time or if we're adding time there, it means we're taking it from somewhere else. And we need to be mindful of where that time's coming from. As you were talking about the friends things, hundred percent, I've got heaps of, I would say acquaintances or friends. And what I had to get clear on, or what I chose to get clear on was the people that I wanted to completely remove from my life, meaning they were adding no value whatsoever. Every time I hung around them, I felt worse off or, you know, you know, stressed or whatever it was. I was like, look, don't need that in my life. Don't even want to tolerate that. 
The second group was the ones that I wanted to distance myself from, meaning I still think they're awesome people, but maybe I was the one who was always trying to reach out and catch up with them. It wasn't reciprocated. Or, um, you know, we only caught up, for example, when we're drinking beers or, um, you know, had had just a specific interest with them, but not a whole heap more outside of that. So distance that and we'll catch up, you know, once a year or twice a year or whatever that may be. And then there was the people that I wanted to enhance my time with. So for me, it was looking for people who genuinely made the effort to catch up with me, uh, reach out or check in during the week. Like they're the people I'd never really experienced made chips like that until maybe the last couple of years. And I was like, this is so weird. These dudes are calling me to just check in on how I'm going. And I was like, okay, there's a reason for that. And then we've got all these other interests like our health, our you know, families and, and and travel and various things like that. So I was like, now they're the people that I get, give a lot of time to. And it's not because once again, we spoke about it at the beginning, I don't feel like I'm better or worse than anyone. I just have different interests and I want to pursue those interests, meaning I want to have people around me who have similar interests. Because every time I go back and do things that I don't necessarily have interest in, yeah, it's a good reminder of why I, um, I guess, distance certain relationships. But the compound effect of doing more of what you love with people that you love adds so much more value to your life in a way that, I guess you won't get if you keep stop starting, which is what a lot of people do. They might do a six week challenge for fitness. They're hanging around a heap of fit people. They're getting fit. And then they'll go back to drinking booze and, you know, things that maybe don't align with that habit they'd try to build. Does that make sense? For sure. Makes a so, lot of sense. And look, it's, it's hard to do that because when you're distancing yourself from people, maybe they will go, Hey Bradley, why aren't you, coming for beers with us or why aren't you doing this with us and you'll have moments where you're like oh, am i taking life too serious am i being too strict am i being too disciplined i i have those thoughts all the time because i am really strict and disciplined in certain areas and i go am i going to regret this when i'm older but i also know that i would not be in tamworth right now i'd have be having to work in a job that maybe i don't like had i not been strict and disciplined and tightened up my circle of influence so there's always going to be a trade-off, always, everything that you do. So if someone tries to bring you down by saying you're sacrificing something, well, of course you are. But, you know, is the upside worth it for you and the life that you're trying to create? Yeah, mate, that, that's incredible what you said there. And, you know, as I'm sitting here listening to this and I am I feel so present. I'm trying to absorb this because I feel like I can learn so much from you and your path. And so I feel really blessed that we've connected. And as I'm sitting there listening to that, I can imagine that for the audience, there may be a little contrast here because they're thinking, well, you know, you've just shared this story about getting to a point where your life was almost in turmoil, Lockie, and now you're dropping this sort of wisdom on us. And I guess that's where I want to, you know, dive back into the evolution of your story and talk about, you know, the years that have led to you being the man you are now, the man that can to use that, <laughs> um, to use that again. And, and I feel like just give us an idea of what that evolution looked like because it's something you should be incredibly proud of. You know, you, you've got so much wisdom and so much value to add. And like I said, I just feel very grateful to be sitting here listening to it. So I feel a lot of things that people maybe throw at me, meaning like, Oh, I've had to go through this with my friends or I've had to, you know, I've had to pay bills or I can't do this because I'm, got this responsibility like most of the excuses that people give to me when i'm challenging them on why they aren't doing what they want to do i experienced i experienced you know i had mates or so-called mates 
at the time make Facebook pages about me because uh, I used to have this hashtag called unrestricted living, which was what, what I wanted to create back in the day. And people were making fun of me for that, right? So I had to deal with that going, I thought these were my mates. And at the time, I didn't have a new circle of friendship. I had my my wife and her sister and brother and whatnot. But aside from that, I didn't have a whole heap of mates that I could lean on and go, oh, that's all right. I've got these people. So you feel isolated and you feel segregated for a period of time. But I was committed to to growing and changing. And I didn't, you know, it's that whole crab in a bucket mentality. When someone tries to pull a crab out of a bucket, the other ones are trying to claw on and pull it back down. Hmm. And I just knew that I needed in order to get a better quality of life, I had to do that. The other things were, you know, looking at and identifying limiting beliefs that I had, because once again, for a long period of time, I'd continued to fuck up every opportunity I'd had, right? I went to a great school, didn't, you know, do much with that after school. I played uh, rugby professionally and I had these um, contracts and opportunities blew those up. So when I came back to Australia, I felt worthless. I was like, I've literally been given everything, and I've still managed to stuff it up. So how I viewed myself was not in a very positive light. So whenever people maybe did trust me with something, I didn't trust myself. And I think that's what led to a lot of bad behavior, cheating and lying and manipulating was because I didn't trust who I was as an individual. It was almost like a, a level of self-sabotage. But once I got on the path of wanting to grow, obviously I realized you know, after that book that I had to own everything, I had to take responsibility for everything, which then led to better outcomes. So, you know, I had so many moments where I was like, okay, you ask my mom or ask Amy. At the beginning, I was a terrible communicator. I still swear a lot, but I swore a lot more and I would not be able to verbalize or articulate how I was thinking or feeling and I would mumble. So mum would always be like, what'd you say? Because I'd always be like, you know, talking to them like this, like a lot of blokes do. And I listened to a lot of men now that talk and I mumble, I'm like, that's coming from a place of low self-esteem. Like you don't value who you are and you don't value what you have to say. So getting myself to a point where it's like, okay, well, I need to figure out what the hell's going on here. So I've been seeing psychologists, I've done NLP, hypnosis, all of this stuff to, I guess, just try to understand why my brain works the way it works. And I'm still definitely not perfect. I have mood swings all the time as my wife would definitely put her hand up which is give me a good look now about and i don't i don't do any of this to try and be perfect i just do to do it to try and understand myself a lot more so everything that i've done has been like okay then when i started a business i didn't have a network i had never run a business i didn't have anyone to ask questions but i knew that i wanted to earn a million dollars so one of the first things that i i guess observed was I need to be, needed to be on stage because I needed to build a level of influence where people sought me out because they wanted to work with me or they wanted to be around me. And I looked at where I was and I found someone who I admired and I was like, this guy's had a similar path to me. I need to learn what he's done. So I reached out to him on Instagram and good match with him now, but he's like, okay, well, you know, just any opportunity you get to talk to people, pretty much what you're doing now, Bradley, go on. Um, podcasts or you know podcasts weren't really a thing back then but speak at events run little home workshops do whatever you need to do to put yourself in a position of influence but keep flexing the muscle of communication I sucked at it I didn't know how to invite people to events I didn't know how to sell I didn't know how to market all of that's been self-taught literally everything's been self-taught just by having a go mm -hmm. I had an idea of where I wanted to get to and I was like okay well how do I do that let's just get on the phone and see what happens 
And I've copped so much criticism when I was doing network marketing, copped criticism when I realized that I wasn't, I guess, passionate about network marketing, but, you know, I, I was building a following uh, from people around, I guess, improving their quality of life, changing their their quality of life because of the content that I was putting out. I was like, okay, well, maybe I can do this professionally. I enjoy helping people. I enjoy helping myself. This is what I do on a daily basis. I'm not doing it just to make money. I literally, everything that people hear me talk about on podcasts and um, the, the coaching that I do is literally what I do day in, day out. Use diaries, set goals, crush goals, exercise, work on my relationship. I'm not perfect. I talk about all the times that I stuff up because I still stuff up, but that's just life. And that's when I was like, okay, well, what can I do to create a business out of this? And once again, you cop hate, you have people going, you're not qualified to do this. And every day you're getting people try to pull you down, which then brings back that feedback loop because I don't think you're ever going to overcome uh, self-sabotaging behaviors or limiting beliefs. I think that's just part of life. Right? Same with negative thoughts and mood swings and all that sort of stuff. I think anyone who tells you that you're going to re- get rid of that for life is full of shit. I think it's how you manage it. And when you become more aware of that, what you can do on a day-to-day basis to sort of more de- more often than not be in a better position than a, a low day, for example, or a self-critical day. And so learning all of those skills, I was like, okay, well, sorry, this has been all over the shot. I'm just piecing it together as quickly as I can. But um, they got to a point when I was, I guess, transitioning out of the network marketing into the Man That Can project where I was like, well, one, I don't know how to build rapport with people very well and I'm not making any money. So did Uber. I was Brisbane's best Uber driver for, I don't know, one and a half years maybe. And That's great. That's mad. Yeah, what my goal was in that was obviously to be able to survive financially. I was always remembering, I was like, when I have $1,000 in saving, I'm going to be the happiest dude alive, like the happiest dude. But my other goal was how can I build rapport with people in under five minutes? Because obviously a trip's not that long. And I was like, okay, and I'm going to start testing questions that maybe catch people off guard. So I'm not going to just go, hey, mate, how are you going? I'm going to ask them things that maybe they want to talk about. So it's either they're going to really open up to me or they're going to tell me to fuck off. And I feel like I have this ability now. People gravitate to me when they just want to unload, when they want to talk. I can connect so well with anyone. Mm. And I believe a lot of that came back to developing that skill in Uber and understanding that communication, building rapport, making people feel valued and heard is a skill. And that was, I guess, part of that process because there was a point where I wanted to build a business. I wanted to um, have a like a level of influence, but why would anyone listen to me? You know, I wanted to have access to millionaires to understand what they did when no one was looking. Do you think a millionaire wanted to hang out with a guy who had a drinking issue, hated himself, was negative, didn't read books, or you know, didn't look after himself? No chance. So I had to become the man that literally millionaires wanted to hang around with. I remember the first time I got invited to a um, a weekend away with a couple of seven-figure earners, and I was like, oh, "This is this is amazing," and to have some beers with these people and you know have them validate you and say what you're doing is impactful and you're on the right path and here's some things that you can improve on is the best feeling ever. And that's sort of what you need. And that's, you know, going back to what we spoke about earlier, I don't ever feel like I'm better than people. And I feel like in life we need to have people 
that are where you want to get to. You know, at the moment, we've just had a new, I guess, uh, board director come on the Man at Camp project who has, you know, turns over 5 million US a month. That's where we want to get to. So having him to guide us and to point out blind spots and to challenge us is amazing. You then want to have people who are on the similar level to you so you can bounce, once again, bounce ideas, look laterally to go, oh, that's that's awesome. Or have you thought about doing this? So you're still coaching to a degree. And then you want to have people who are on the journey, right? Who are wanting to get to where you want to get to because then I get to give back, right? Because I just remember how much that helped me when those you know, seven-figure income earners invited me to a weekend away with them. That literally was one of the highlights of, my life to that point because I was like okay I am doing the right things and that sort of gives you that little boost to keep going when it gets tough and ever since then you know I talk about a heap of setbacks failures lost money poor investments um, moments where you want to quit we all have that that's part of life but I think what it ultimately comes back to is having an idea of you know, I spoke about earlier a vision right a vision you can make it as specific as you want or you can be vague. Vague visions lead to vague outcomes because you don't know really what's tangible. But I think it's also important to get clear on what values you want in your vision. Right? For me, it's connection, meaning I'm not attached necessarily to the specific people, but I know that I always want to have people in my life that I feel connected to, that challenge me, that empower me. The other one's health. I always want to make sure that I'm healthy, mentally, physically, financially, all of that. And the third one is freedom. I need to have flexibility and the financial means to do what I want in my life. So no matter what opportunities come my way in the future or no matter how I pivot, those things need to be met. So I might, you know, as much as the man that can project my business and my life right now, it may not be in 10 years time. I don't know. I'm not attached to it for the moment. It's ticking those boxes, but it's not who I am anymore. Cause I learned that from sport when I thought all I was, was a football player, right? You learn pretty quickly because retirement happens at some point or a career ending injury happens at some point. And that's why I think so many sports stars or men have these midlife crises because who they have been up until that point is their career. And it's like, you're so much more than that if you allow yourself to look, look laterally. And I don't know whether that answered your question. That was, a- it, it really so- does. It really does. And I think, I just love what you say there because, you know, you spoke there about self-worth not coming from your achievements or your success, but coming from a sense of who you are within, which I think is incredibly important. And, you know, you spoke there about understanding that really the journey and the quest is truly just self-development, self-understanding. And there's something I love one of the guys I talk about a lot, I'm a massive Ben Crow nut hugger, you know, that guy is just, <laughs> he's awesome. Right. He's just awesome. And you know, one of the pieces of content that he put out on Mojo Crow was the ABCs, which was self-acceptance, then self-belief, then self-confidence. And I think most people are trying to develop self-belief and self-confidence without tackling first self-acceptance. And really, I think that is the tone of your story is, understanding and it's the tone of most of our stories when we fully realize that that's what we need to focus on is you know through self-acceptance comes self-celebration and and then so many amazing things along the quest of your life I don't want to take you for too much longer brother because I know that 
Um, we could sit here and talk for hours and I want to make sure that this is concise for people and there is already so much value within the hour we've been chatting for. But before you go, um, I no longer ask the five questions and five answers, um, new season of the pod, so new endeavors. But the one thing I will ask you is, are there any fears, reservations, challenges that are coming to the front of the mind with your move to Nashville um, just around the corner and and, you know, you spoke there about the structures and the discipline you've created for your life and the flexibility and freedom that's brought you within Australia, you know, moving to a new space and place. Are there things that you feel are going to be challenged or tested? Definitely. There will be a lot of challenges that are unforeseen. I feel there's a lot of opportunity, but it will also be, am I walking away from something good? I think in a new environment, there is always going to be, I think the same things. I feel like I put myself in a position where I feel like I'm capable and competent to achieve anything that comes my way. There's definitely going to be things that the closer it becomes, the more fear that's there, but I've always, I guess, stepped into it. Like my whole, I've literally built a whole business and I've built this whole life based out of fear. And my psychologist doesn't like that as such. You know, every time I go and I've seen four different ones now, five different ones, I always get to the same thing where it's like a lot of what I do is I'm running from who I was and apparently that's not healthy. And I guess it's how you view it. But I also feel if I was doing things for pleasure, I wouldn't be as motivated. I'm literally building a life that I'm so proud of. And I guess I've built a version of who I am because I don't want to be who I was and I don't want to be back where I was. And if that continues to motivate me and that helps me, get what I want for my life and it helps me take the risks and step into the things that I fear, then that's a, to me, it's a great thing. So yeah, there, I think there's probably going to be more unforeseen things that I am not aware of. I'll be able to definitely share them with you in 12 months time or so, but I do feel like I'm in a position where I'll be able to handle whatever comes my way. I love that brother. And I think, you know, to, to knuckle down on what you spoke about there, you know, running from the man that you were has motivated you to be the man that you are. That's something that Goggins talks about a lot, right? You know, there's morning where he wakes up and doesn't want to go for the run. He's like, and if I don't go for the run, how long until I'm the, as he would say, the bitch ass motherfucker who, yeah, you know, is 300 pounds against brain for cockroaches and hates his life. It's understanding that I think it, it's like you said, it's how you view it. It's how you process it. It's how that works for you. And Matt, I'm, I'm just so inspired by your journey. I'm inspired by what you're doing now. And, you know, whilst I'm not asking the five questions, I will leave you with an opportunity to answer what is usually the fifth question of that. And it's, if you could share one message with the world and encourage them to act on it, what would that message be? I think it's going to tie back into just one thing you added on there. Like when I listened to David Goggins, he gave me permission to not feel like you have to say something you think you need to say in order to fit into a specific, I guess, environment. So obviously in the self-help space, people say a lot of the same stuff and a lot of it is like really soft and nurturing, which is fine for the right person. But for me and how I operate, I really, and I think a lot of people resonate with people like David Goggins, for example, because there's no bullshit. And I felt for a long time I had to say things in a specific way that people wanted to hear rather than the fact it's like, you know, even to my psychics, it's like, well, if that's what works for me, that's what works for me. I don't need to fucking try and unpack that anymore. Like it's not impacting my life anymore. Having 
you try and tell me anything else is really starting to irritate me. And people might say, well, it's part of the process, you know, and I'm like, no, because my life's thriving. I come to a psychologist now because it's maintenance. I don't come here because I don't feel like I need to work through a lot of stuff. And I think, um, yeah, so I guess that bit of advice is don't wait for permission. If you, there's a lot of people who do it really well that I am, you know, I admire where they just say what's really important to them. And I think in this world now where everyone feels like you need to have the exact same beliefs and opinion as you is complete bullshit. So I think the people who have the courage to share what they feel and how they run their life are to me the most admirable. And that's one thing that once again, I'm not perfect at it. There's a lot of things that I am building the courage to talk more about and I guess share my beliefs and opinions on how I run my life because I guess a lot of the stuff that I do, a lot of people go, you know, you can't do that. I'm like, well, I do do that. So that's the reality of it for me. And I'm once again, I don't want to have all those debates with people yet. So I guess building the courage to do that and to speak your truth is such an important thing. Brother, I love it so much. Uh, you know, I bloody amplify that message and, you know, I believe so much in what you're doing. I know that you're going to achieve incredible things as you already have and you will continue to do. Um, I wish you all the best of luck and the best of wishes for this move to the US, to Nashville, <laughs> the home of country music. And, you know, the same wishes go towards your partner, Amy, and, you know, her success over there. She's going to do incredible. And I'm just so grateful that we've been able to form this connection, not only share my story on your show, but now have you for the second time share your story on mine. And, and I truly hope that in the years to come, we can continue to do this, continue to bounce stories and share and, and learn from each other's experiences as we, ha as we have done already. So I'll ensure that all of your socials and the ways that people can connect with you and the Man That Can Project are in the show notes. So thank you so much, Mr. Lockie Stewart, for being a part of the fabric of a lot to talk about. Thanks for having me on, mate. It's been a pleasure.